Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Hey guys, welcome back to Absurdity. I am here with my friend TJ Sands, and we are in round two, because we literally just sat here for an hour recording this episode, and his audio didn't record at all. So here's to hoping that his audio records this time. Uh, but TJ, man, thank you so much for coming on. You're a pastor over in Oklahoma. That is all I will say to introduce you, but I would love for you to tell our listeners a bit about yourself. Yes. Thank you for placing all the blame on me for your faulty system. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm the, I'm the, I, I, it's true. I handled the recording on my end and it just didn't record. <laughs> it, it recorded it and it showed that his audio was coming through. And then I went to play back the file and it was yeah, technology is great when it works. But anyways, I'm glad to do this again. I think we had a lot of fun the first round and I'm sure we're going to have just as much fun the second time around, but just a little bit about me. I was raised in the Adventist church as far back as I can remember. I believe I was about four when my mom started attending. I was very outgoing. I loved children's story. I loved Sabbath school. I memorized my verses and did pathfinders and all that. My mom used to joke that my brother and I were complete opposites. She said that my brother wouldn't even go up and sit there and listen to the children's story. And she said that I would go up and freely tell the children's story. Uh, so my my memories growing up in the Adventist church were very fond in my childhood. I was baptized when I was nine years old, when I was living there in Destin, Florida. And I, when I got, we moved to Birmingham, Alabama, when I was in fifth grade. And I went fifth grade through eighth grade at a Seventh-day Adventist church school. And it was very small. It was K through high school. And there were 33 kids, I believe my eighth grade year there were four eighth grade graduates it was myself and three other people i decided that i wanted to go to a large public high school most of my friends in my neighborhood went to public school and so i wanted to go where i could make lots of friends and just kind of see what it was like so i went to hoover high school it was a very large school i went from 33 students in the entire school to 2500 students. My junior and senior year, a MTV reality show was filmed on our football team there. Wow. We were 6A state champs all four years that I was there. It was, it was crazy. But did you play? I did not. I did not. And it was because I was lazy. I love football. I mean, football was always my sport and mm. I was good at it, but I didn't want to practice. <laughs> and the, the the name of the TV show was actually called Two a Days, and that was you know my that's pretty oh, okay, it's pretty yeah. common now. But at the time, that that we stood out with that our high school football team would practice yeah. two times a day. So, anyways, while I was there at that high school, I made I did make a lot of friends, and many of those friends were not Christian, and some of them were Christian, but I. I can't think when I was a freshman, one of the seniors was a member of my church. But other than that, 2,500 students, I didn't know any other Adventists. 
And later on, my junior year, my dad moved into town. My parents were divorced, and my dad is not a Seventh-day Adventist. And I mean, he he believes in Jesus, but he doesn't attend church. And so my senior year, I moved in with him. And when that happened, I didn't go to church anymore, uh, or I rarely went to church because my mom wasn't there to nag me. That's kind of what I, I looked at it as when I lived with her, that she would nag me and drag me to church. Mm. And so I stopped attending and eventually just kind of one thing led to the other. And I grew away from God. I never stopped believing in God, but I was definitely not a practicing Christian during that time. I got into heavy drinking and I was smoking weed all day, every day doing a lot of other drugs during that time and also just sleeping around and partying and doing living that whole lifestyle. Well, after a number of years of doing this, I was actually living in Tuscaloosa at the time where the University of Alabama is, roll tide. And uh <laughs> but it's it's known as a a big party school and <laughs> the the experience that I had, I wasn't even going to school there. I had friends that were, and I just, I was working at the time. So I moved there so I could party with my friends and I did a lot of partying. But during that time, I started to have crippling panic attacks. I felt like I just had this, this feeling of impending doom and my throat would close up. I feel like I couldn't breathe. I would start having these freak outs thinking I was going to die. And this wouldn't happen, you know, late at night alone in my bed. It started happening for the most part when I was at parties, when I was having fun and I was with my friends, times when I'm supposedly having the time of my life. And I started to realize that something was missing. It was like there was a, a, excuse my cliche, but there was like a God-shaped hole and I was trying to fill it with everything but God. And he started to kind of speak speak to me through different conversations that I had with people. And I started reading the Bible some more. And then I got in touch with somebody that was really dear to me. I trusted him a lot. My, my grandfather passed away when I was younger. My grandmother remarried and the guy that she remarried was an Adventist, a retired Adventist pastor. And he was just great. He was very patient with me. We'd have long phone calls and I would just ramble and ramble about all my different conspiracy theories that I was into at the time. And he was very patient and he answered my Bible questions and just my, my questions about Christianity. And anytime that he didn't have an answer, he would say, you know, I don't know, but I'll look into that and I'll get back to you. So God wow. really used Al as he was very instrumental in, in me coming back to God. So I moved back to Birmingham. I started attending church and my head pastor there really took me under his wing, gave me a lot of opportunities to he gave me his beginner Sabbath school class to start teaching it on my own. I started having to make my own lessons because we didn't follow uh, a, a quarterly, um, a, a book of lessons. And I had preaching opportunities. So he really, he planted that seed for ministry in my heart. And eventually it started to sprout and grow. And I ended up at Southwestern Adventist University there in Keene, Texas. And I studied theology and minored in biblical languages. I loved my time there, had a great time. It was a a tremendous growing experience for me as a Christian. And now I am employed by the Oklahoma Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, and I am the head pastor of the Edmond Church here in Edmond, Oklahoma, just a little north of Oklahoma City. Gotcha. And your, your graduating class from Southwestern was what, like 10 people, maybe? 11? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't don't kill me. Don't kill me. Um, I had I had I had twelve people at my southern graduation. Wow. So, um, I'm just kidding. I didn't go to my southern graduation. <laughs> I actually distinctly, I, I distinctly remember sitting outside of the gymnasium as they were starting graduation because I was waiting to pick someone else up. Now my because I had to do an eight. My ahead. graduating class was very large. Now my theology graduating class. Yeah, <laughs> I believe that there were three of us, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. yeah. No, okay. I was I was definitely kidding, but yeah, okay, you've just made that true. Um no, I had to for those of you who are about to get mad, I, you didn't go to your own college graduation. Well, I had to drive 8 hours home at 3 a.m. and uh graduation started at 7 p.m. and I figured that being asleep was more beneficial to my health than going to my graduation, which none of my family could be at anyway. So, uh, um and I don't really care for the pomp and circumstance. I'd rather just just 
I don't want to receive a folder that tells me that they're going to mail me my diploma. I just think that's dumb. Like, just just give me the diploma. But that's neither here nor there. Um, all right, so let's let's. Okay, so so you you and I became friends because you listened to this podcast, um, and then you reviewed it on Facebook. And then I can't remember if you messaged me or if I messaged you. I think you messaged yes. me. I could be wrong. Um, there we go. Okay, I see. So I'm not. I was the pursuer. You, verifying. I was pursuing this relationship. Yes. Uh, and uh, then within like an hour, we were talking on the phone, and we ended up talking for another hour. Then we took a break for lunch, and then we talked for like four more hours. <laughs> um, and uh, realized that we're basically the same person. And I love finding my twins in the world. We had that moment, um, that stepbrothers moment. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> exactly. We realized, hey, we shared all these pastoral struggles and 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 all these cool stories and and learned a lot from each other in that conversation, which is great. I loved it. And so yeah. now we're transferring that conversation into or part of it into um, into this episode, and I love it. If you haven't figured it out, and you're a listener uh, by the by the title today, we are talking about the 28 fundamentals, the 28 fundamental beliefs of Seventh Day Adventism. Now, I'm going to read these off here in a minute, but TJ, why don't you kind of give us an overview of what they are, kind of what the purpose of them are, um, and yeah, give us just an intro. Yeah, so I will. We have a list of 28 fundamental beliefs, but before the list starts, there is a preamble. So let me just go ahead and read that. Seventh-day Adventists accept the Bible as their only creed and hold certain fundamental beliefs to be the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. These beliefs, as set forth here, constitute the church's understanding and expression of the teaching of Scripture. Revision of these statements may be expected at a general conference session when the church is led by the Holy Spirit to a fuller understanding of Bible truth or finds better language in which to express the teachings of God's holy word. So really, we as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe that the Bible is our only creed, but within the Bible, there are a number of doctrines and teachings. And so the church decided to lay these teachings out so that if anybody asks, what do Seventh-day Adventists believe, you can know that these are the official teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, these are not a creed. Um, because as I've said, and as the preamble said, the Bible is our only creed, but we'll get into that discussion as, as we go on. But really it's a list of the beliefs that the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, has a, an official position on. Mm. And, and, and let me, let me be clear here. This is actually one of the reasons I am a Seventh-day Adventist, um, is because we are a non-creedal denomination. Um, I tend to see creeds as rather limiting. Um, because they tell you that you must always operate within these boundaries. Um, whereas this is more descriptive um, and um, tells and, and is more of like, hey, if you're not an Adventist, here's what to expect when you walk into an Adventist system, walk into an Adventist building, right? Talking to an Adventist person. This is typically what you can expect of us. Um, and so I appreciate it because it is pretty succinct. Um, I'm going to read off all 28 fundamental beliefs. Um, I'm only going to read their title. Obviously, the whole list is available on Adventist.org, and I'll go ahead and include a link directly to it um, in the show notes, so you can you can type it or you can click it and see right along. Um, but here are the twenty-eight fundamental beliefs: number one, the Holy Scriptures; two, the Trinity; three, the Father; four, the Son; the Holy Spirit; creation; the nature of humanity; the Great Controversy; the life, death, and resurrection of Christ; the experience of salvation growing in Christ, the church, the remnant and its mission, unity in the body of Christ, baptism, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts and ministries, the gift of prophecy, the law of God, the Sabbath, stewardship, Christian behavior, marriage and family, Christ's ministry in the heavenly sanctuary, the second coming of Christ, death and resurrection, the millennium and the end of sin, and finally, the new earth. So that is all 28. Obviously, underneath every one of these is a paragraph or so or description of what the belief is, what our stance is on it, and then a list, uh, a citation or reference list of all the scriptures that it comes from. Uh, it can be anywhere from five scriptures to like 30. Um, there's a whole lot. But what I love about this list the most is that everything that is referenced is scripture, nothing else. Um, and it's important for you to know that... Um, what I read was just the headings. It doesn't actually, like, I haven't told you what we believe about these things. It's just like, um, it's just the heading. So you'll need to go in and read it on your own. Um, it's so, 
Um, but that's kind of what we're talking about, the 20 fundamental beliefs. It's kind of the belief statements of Adventism. Um, so let's let's kind of dive into this, uh, TJ. What are your give me your thoughts on this? Well, if we look back at the history, you know, Adventists have historically been reluctant to formalize a creed, and our history shows that from the early foundation. You know, we had we have really three founding fathers, and it was James White, Ellen White, and Joseph Bates. And they were very leery even to organize and to make the shift from being a movement to being a church. And so they were against formalizing a creed. And many people believe, and I am one of them, that the 28 fundamental beliefs are, like you said, they are descriptors, not prescriptors. So they they describe the official position of the church, but they're not criteria for membership. And so I think that's really important to have in mind moving forward. And so in spite of the reluctance by many of our early Adventists to formalize a creed, there was an understanding or a a felt need that we should have some sort of description of what we believe so that people from the outside looking in can know. Mm. And so in 1872, a pamphlet was produced presenting 25, what they were called at the time, fundamental principles, not to secure uniformity, but to meet inquiries and to correct false statements. That was the reasoning behind that. And then in 1931, a list of 22 fundamental beliefs was produced and published in the Adventist yearbook, and then also added into the Adventist church manual. But it wasn't until 1980 that the 27 at the time, now we have 28, but at the, when, when they were first brought out, the 27 fundamentals were instituted by the denomination's general conference. Mm. And then they were expanded upon in the book, Seventh-day Adventists Believe, a biblical exposition of 27 fundamental doctrines. And so um, that's, that's a little bit of the history of where we came from and how we got to where we are now. Um, yeah. If you would like, I can go ahead and read those quotes from James White and Jan Loughborough, unless you want to add something. Um, no, you can go ahead and read them. That's fine with me. I don't have a problem with it. Okay. I think they, they, they tie along with some of, some of what I just shared. But For sure. I want to read this quote from Michael W. Campbell. He wrote this in the Journal of the Adventist Theological Society. He said that this was, he wrote this in talking about the fears of early Adventists to formalizing a creed. So, quote, these fears were aptly expressed during the earliest organizational developments in 1861 of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. According to denominational co-founder James White, quote, making a creed is setting the stakes and barring up the way to all future advancement. The Bible is our creed, unquote. Another Adventist minister, Jan Loughborough, reiterated their collective fear, quote, the first step of apostasy is to get up a creed, telling us what we shall believe. The second is to make that creed a test of fellowship. The third is to try members by that creed. The fourth, to denounce as heretics those who do not believe that creed. And fifth, to commence persecution against such, Mm. unquote. So there you have it, some very harsh statements from one of our earliest ministers and also one of our founders of the church saying that we do not want to set up a creed. We do not want to to give a list of things that we believe and say, you've got to believe this to be a member and you've got to believe this to be safe. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's sometimes I wish I had like half the courage that some of our early Adventists had. (laughs) Some of the things they say are like straight up mic drops that some of us, if we said them now, would probably get fired or something. Like, I just, it's, it's, um, or like burned at the stake at our churches. Like, it's just incredible um, some of the, the, the courage they display there. Um, and I very much agree with them, and I agree with you that these are descriptors, not prescript, or uh, yeah, not prescriptors. And, and um, but it's interesting because it, I find that, um, the way people use them tends to be kind of what determines one way or the other. So be- before I kind of jump into that, let me ask you this. What do you think is good and what do you think is bad about our fundamentals? 
Well, the good thing is, obviously, it, it's a, it does a good job of explaining what Seventh-day Adventists are about. If somebody asks you what you believe, you've got a list with title, subtitles, a, an explanation, but also all of the scripture. So I really do like the fact that we as Seventh-day Adventists, we hold certain beliefs to be fundamentals, but we also can prove those from the Bible. There aren't a bunch of quotes from outside sources or anything. Our beliefs come from the Bible, and I believe 100% that that is a good mm. sort of belief system to have. I tell my church members that all the time. If you have any belief in your mind right now that has to do with Christianity and you can't prove it from the Bible, it's time to strongly question that belief. Um, so that, that's really the, the good of it. And the, I think the negatives are not, not so much that we have them because like I just said, I, I enjoy that. I like the preamble, but I guess it's more of the way that they're used. Mm -hmm. And you kind of touched on that because it depends on who you talk to, uh, whether they are descriptors or whether they are prescriptors. And so uh, there are many within church leadership today that are kind of this old school, more traditional dogmatic mindset that they believe that in order for you to be a member in good standing in the Seventh-day Adventist church, in order for you to be baptized into the church, you have to agree 100% with the 28 fundamental beliefs. I know of a pastor who, who practices this not just with the fundamental beliefs, but he takes it one step further. That book that I mentioned, the What Adventists Believe, which really expounds greatly on each one of the fundamental beliefs. There's a lot of stuff added in there that is not from the Bible. It's more cultural. It's, it's, it's about standards. And anyways, he, his, the, way of, the way that he does things is he gives a book to anybody that wants to join the church. And if they disagree with anything in that book, he's not going to baptize them. I strongly am opposed to that. And I disagree with that sort of, of mindset because we as it, it's, it's very much tied with baptism. And I think that that's maybe a discussion that we should have in a future episode of how the Seventh-day Adventist church does baptism. But the way that, that the Seventh-day Adventist church does it is, when somebody is baptized, they're not just baptized into Christ, but they're also baptized into the body of Christ. But we kind of take it one step further, and you're being baptized into a specific local church. And so if somebody wants to be baptized, and maybe they just heard about Jesus for the first time, they want to be baptized, well, we've got to explain to them what the Seventh-day Adventist church believes and what our stance is on issues, because they are about to join the church as well when they get baptized. And I, I think maybe there's some discussion that can be had on, is, is that right? Is that biblical? Is there a better way of doing things? But the way it stands now, baptism and church membership are pretty much tied hand in hand. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tough. It's tough the way that, that, that we deal with this. And I'll just, I'll, I'll say this and then I'll, I'll pass it on to you, but I, I want to read another quote from Ellen White. This is from the great controversy, one of her most well-known books. She says, quote, the doctrine that God has committed to the church, the right to control conscience and to define and punish heresy is one of the most rooted of papal errors. So where I start to struggle with the 28 fundamental beliefs is when they are used as a way to discipline or attack people if they don't agree fully with them. Yeah, I would agree. I um, That's my biggest issue is when we use them as a basis for attacking each other um, instead of as a as the descriptive descriptive purpose that they, they have. Now, I uh, but I love them for the exact same reasons that you love them. I don't really differ with you. However, I will say... Um, I definitely, there is one fundamental belief that I don't have an issue with the belief. So don't, don't freak out. I don't have, I don't disagree with one of the 28s. All right. One of the 28. I, I, <laughs> I disagree with the, with the, um, with the description of that belief. So under each, under each belief is a paragraph description of it. And then a list of verses that you can look up that reference, uh, that, that the paragraph either references or, 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 or kind of puts into to layman's terms. So, um, the, the one I specifically have an issue with is the Lord's Supper, number 16, 
Um, there's a line in that belief that I have a problem with, and it says, preparation for the supper includes self-examination, repentance, and confession. My issue with that belief, with my issue with that statement right there is that nowhere in the Lord's Supper in any of the verses that are listed um, in the 20, in the fundamental beliefs document um, list self-examination, repentance, and confession as necessary to take part in the Lord's Supper. Um, the, the one that comes closest would be 1 Corinthians, where it talks about uh, where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, hey, look, you guys are showing up for the Lord's Supper, but some of you are getting drunk, some of you are eating all the food, and others are going hungry. You're not here because you wanted to take part in the Lord's Supper. You're here because you want to get, you just want to eat and, and have a party. And he's like, you need to check yourself. Um, that is not confession and repentance. That is making sure you're there for the right purpose. Um, but what we've taken that to mean is, well, you need to examine yourself, and, and you need to ask forgiveness of all your sins before you can take part in this. And, and so what we've turned communion into, which is, a, which is yes, a somber remembrance that, that the Lord, um, Lord uh, died for us and, and it, you know, his sacrifice for us, even, even the wording here, as we partake, we joyfully proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, right? So there's joy and celebration implied in the Lord's Supper, and yet we remove all that when we say you need to feel bad for your sins and ask forgiveness for them and confess and repent. Um, and so every single, like communion Sabbaths were the most hated thing for me growing up. Um, and they're hated for a lot of people because they're so boring. Uh, there's no celebration. There's no, there's, there's, it's just like, it's this depressing, long, drawn out service um, that doesn't really edify anyone. And it's, and it, and I wrestle with that. And I wish we would revisit that specific statement right there. I think the Lord's Supper is important. I think it's been instituted by God. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm, I'm all for the belief. I'm just not for that specific uh, description. Yeah, and I agree 100%. And I, I see that in my own local church. We do communion four times a year, and we do it whenever there is a fifth Sabbath in a month. So we're, you know, coming up this month, June 30th, will be a fifth Sabbath, so we'll be having communion and we always know that when there is a communion Sabbath, that the attendance will be low because a lot of people just skip out and they don't come for whatever reason. But to your to your case about the fact that it talks about repentance, I don't see that biblically either, because when we look at the story of the Last Supper, we see that Judas was there and Jesus washed his feet and Judas partook in the Last Supper. And we know from the biblical narrative that immediately following that, he went out and betrayed Jesus. The plan was already laid in place. Mm. He was not repentant. He did not change, but Jesus allowed him to partake. And we, as the, the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we practice open communion, which means that anybody can partake. I know that there are some denominations and some churches that have a closed communion where you can only partake if you're a member of the church, or you can only partake if you are an elder or some in some sort of leadership in the church. So I, I agree with you that our sometimes our words don't line up with our actions because we we say that it's open communion, but then the words added into that fundamental belief uh, say otherwise. Yeah, um, and it's and it's a struggle because, like, w what I think we've done um, is because of the way we've been using the fundamentals, kind of across the board. This isn't true for everyone. There are people that don't use it like this. So if you don't, then you're not who I'm talking about. Congratulations. Um, but what we've done is we have made them a litmus test and we've, we've, we've gotten rid of the journey, right? We've said, you can't have the journey. In order to join the club, you've got to buy into all these beliefs now. Um, and that's a problem because there is a journey. And I did not know everything when I, when you're born, you don't know everything. And what it's done is it's created... Speak for yourself. Yeah, it's yeah, true. Um, <laughs> when I was baptized, I did, but when I was born, I didn't. Uh, no, oh, okay. I, like, and I, we, we expect you to know and accept everything before you're baptized. And so what we've done is we've created this, this kind of insecurity where, okay, then 10 years down the line after I've been baptized, I learned something new or earth-shattering to my faith. And um, then I'm like, oh, I need to get rebaptized. I clearly understand it so much more now. And we've, we've instilled this continual insecurity in us that we have to know everything right now. And if we don't, then we're, we're failing. Um, but what the 28 fundamental beliefs kind of tell us in the, their journey 
um, their journey even coming to existence, the preamble of them is that this is a ever-growing and changing journey that we are on together, and we will get new info as we go, um, and we'll be corrected and learn and, and, and grow more. Uh, so, it, like, I do see that as, a, it's all about how we're using these that I have the issue yeah. with. It's not really the beliefs themselves. Um, I think, yeah. well, go ahead. We, it, baptism is going to keep coming up in this conversation just because it's so closely tied to our 28 fundamental beliefs and how we use them. But I agree 100% with what you're saying because we teach and we say that baptism is the beginning. It's the beginning of a new life. You're a baby Christian when you come out of that water. But the way that we do things we are saying that it's graduation. It's what you get baptized once you've reached the point. You know what you need to know. You agree with all the right stuff because most Adventist pastors, they want to study with somebody and do 28 Bible studies covering our fundamental beliefs before they can baptize them. And then, yeah, you're, you're, you're giving someone this mindset that once they're baptized, they've made it. Yeah. They've completed their Christian journey. They don't need to study anymore. They don't need to question anything. They don't need to grow anymore. They've made it. And that is not biblical. And it's not really what we as a church present either, because we talk about baptism being the beginning. And it's important to nurture new Christians and to plug them in with, you know, like-minded believers, but maybe some people with wisdom and, and Christian maturity so that they can help them along their journey. Yep, absolutely. So I want to ask you the question. That if you ask a million different Adventists, you'll get a million different answers. And I love this question. How many fundamentals do I have to agree with or believe to be an Adventist? Well, clearly the answer is the only answer 28, is 28. Exactly. Right? For now. And when we when we add another, <laughs> you know, 15 years ago it was 27. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I can't give a solid answer and say, well, it's gotta be these eight, or it's gotta be these five, or it's gotta be these thirteen. I think it depends on the individual because when anybody that has been within Adventism for an amount of time, probably over five years, you realize that there is a broad spectrum within Adventism and there are people to the far left and there are people to the far right, but they're still Adventists. Yeah, right? And then there's we the, have differences of opinion. Well, and then there's us and we're perfectly balanced. You and me, we, we don't have any leanings or bias. <laughs> one way or the yes, other. Yes. Yeah. At least that's, that's, that's the aim. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> um, so with, with that being said, I, I can't give you a solid number. This is, these are the fundamentals. Now there are some that I believe are more, I don't want to say important, foundational, but foundational. There you go. There you go. Um, you know, for instance, what, why do we call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists? Are you asking me rhetorically or are you? No, I'm, ask, I'm asking you to answer. Uh, well, because we, because we Adventists literally means someone who's waiting on the second coming of Christ and Seventh Day means Saturday. So we're talking about people who, some who regard Saturday, lit, if we're talking literally, people who regard Saturday and are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, what we practically mean is people who worship on the seventh day and are awaiting the second coming of Christ. Right. So those are pretty foundational. It would be hard for me to baptize somebody that believed that the Sabbath was done away with, or that the Sabbath was on Sunday, because they are going to be confronted as soon as they walk in the church door with happy Sabbath, (laughs) you know, and so that goes against what they believe in every turn, every Sabbath school class, Every most sermons, most conversations, they're going to be confronted with talk about the Sabbath being on Saturday, talk about Christ's second coming, that it's going to be a literal coming, that we believe that it's going to happen soon, that it wasn't some spiritualized thing that Jesus is now living in our hearts, the second coming has already happened, because I know there are Christians that believe that. So those are pretty foundational and connected with those, how we know that the Sabbath is Saturday and how we know that Christ is coming soon, it's, it's because of the Bible. And so the, the fundamental belief, number one, is, is talking about the Holy Scriptures and that we believe that they are inspired by God and that they, they instruct us on the, what to believe and how to live as a Christian. 
So I think that there are some that are more foundational than others. But for, for instance, you know, the fundamental belief number 18, it's on the gift of prophecy. Let me read that real quick. The scriptures testify that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. This gift is an identifying mark of the remnant church, and we believe it was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White. Her writings speak with prophetic authority and provide comfort, guidance, instruction, and correction to the church. They also make clear that the Bible is a standard by which all teaching and experience must be tested. So if we believe that this gift was manifested through the ministry of Ellen White, then that means that we should take her at her word when she talks about the gift. And she in her own writing stated very blunt that her gift should not be a test of fellowship. What she's saying is, I do not want you to make a test and say, in order to be a Seventh-day Adventist, you've got to believe that Ellen White has the gift of prophecy. And so if she herself said that, then that means we can't use fundamental belief number 18 as a rite of passage to be an Adventist or as a, a disciplinary action, because she herself said, don't use it that way. So then if we can't use one, then that would probably mean we shouldn't be using all of the others as well as a litmus test of what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Because like you said, there are different, we're all on a different journey. We're in different parts of that journey. One of, one of my mentors growing up always gave me the illustration of looking at the Christian walk as a ladder. And we're all on different rungs of the ladder. Some might be higher up, some might be lower down, but we're still, we're all on the same ladder. We're all on the same team. We're headed towards the same direction, but we might view things differently, believe things differently, be stronger or weaker in certain areas. And so I think questions are important. Debate is important and doubt is okay as long as you deal with it. And the best way to deal with doubt is to dialogue, is to ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's sort of my stance on them. I, I believe that they are important and I, I believe they're there for a good reason, but sometimes they're abused in the way that we use them. Well, and I find it interesting. I'm going to segue into this, though. You brought this up. Um, I'm going to bring it up now. You brought this up before we recorded, and now the time has come. Um, the, the way we use them is, in, is interesting because we believe they should change and evolve over time. And yet, in our lovely church manual, um, we have a line under church discipline. Are you needing me to read that? No, I got it. I have it pulled up. You're okay. good. Um, we have a line in, under reasons for church discipline. So the reasons for which members shall be subject to discipline are, and number one, denial of faith in the fundamentals of the gospel and in the fundamental beliefs of the church or teaching doctrines contrary to the same. Now, here's where I have a problem with that, which is this. If we believe that those doctrines can change, right, if we believe that these aren't creeds, these aren't permanent teachings, but that, that there's room for discussion and room for growth, then how can we punish someone for denying it, right? Like if, we, if I look back at 1888, where, um, where I, and I can't, was it Wagner and um, I can't remember the other guys. A.T. Jones. Thank you. Jones and, and Wagner stood up in a general conference session and just straight up read Galatians, like out loud. Um, and, to, and like people were telling them to stop and they wouldn't, and they just kept reading it and, being, and got louder and louder and louder to prove to the church that salvation came by grace through faith alone and not by our own works, right? Technically, technically by this, if, if fundamental beliefs had existed, then one of the fundamentals probably would have been that, uh, you know... We, we're saved by perfection or, you know, by, by perfecting our works, by a life of not sin, not no sin, things like that. They would be bound for church discipline uh, because they are teaching something that's contrary to the established understanding or working understanding of the church. So I wrestle with this because we pay lip service to wanting to, to dialogue about this kind of stuff, but then we've actually set up a system where that's actually discouraged. Now, I would argue, now that this is fair, which is that, uh, when it says denial of faith, not questioning, not questioning, but denial of faith in the fundamentals of the gospel and in the fundamental of the church, or teaching doctrines contrary. So basically, um, this this to me, I will, I, and, and I'll and I'll put it fair. I'll be fair to this. Um, does indicate a little bit of lone wolf 
um, tendencies or behavior on the like this is someone who's actively trying to seek division, not move the church forward in beliefs. That's what that's what that says to me. Um, but I I wrestle with the message that it tends to send if you just read that at face value. Um, I I really really do. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, I already talked about fundamental belief number eighteen, the gift of prophecy. So I'm just going to use that as an example. If I've got somebody who I've been studying with them. We've gone over the 28 fundamental beliefs. They want to join the church. They want to be a member. They agree with all of them, but they don't agree with number 18. They do not believe that Ellen White had the prophetic gift. They can't sign off on it. Maybe they haven't read enough of her writings. Maybe they have other concerns, whatever the reason may be. I'm not going to refuse to baptize them because of that. Because in her own writings, I do believe that she had the prophetic gift. And so when I read in her own writings that she says, my gift should not be a test of fellowship, then I'm going to side with that. And so if somebody wants to join the church and they've got issues with Ellen White, well, that's fine. Because I know plenty of other Adventists that are already members that have issues with Ellen White. But the caveat to that is, you know, lined out here in the church manual, it talks about denial of faith in but then it says, or teaching doctrines contrary to the same. I'm going to be very clear with that individual that they are allowed to have th their beliefs about Ellen White, but I am not going to allow them to have a platform to teach that she was a false prophet or mm -hmm. something like Absolutely. that. Um, and, and I think that's the safeguard there. But you do, you bring up a good point in talking about the fact that here in the church manual, it says, Denial of faith in the fundamentals of the gospel and in the fundamental beliefs of the church. So what this is saying here, what this is lining out is that there is a difference <laughs> between the fundamentals of the gospel and the fundamentals of the church. That's crazy because do we not believe that do, does the preamble of the 28 fundamental beliefs not say clearly and succinctly that the Bible is our creed? And if our fundamental beliefs come from the Bible, then that whole second and should be deleted. It should just say denial of faith in the fundamentals of the gospel or teaching doctrines contrary to the same. Um, so once again, it's, well, it's, it's, I, it's speaking out of both sides of our mouth. There. Okay, but yes, yes and no. So, so like, I, because I agree with you, that was a huge bomb you just dropped, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so, so when we say and in the fundamental beliefs of the church— um, as if they're differentiated, I do think there are there are many fundamental beliefs um, that are not central to the truth of the gospel. Um, and so, what I think this is saying, like like uh, gro uh, not growing in Christ, but like Christian behavior or things like that, like um, the gospel is accepting Jesus, right? The gospel yeah, is Jesus yeah. died for you, was resurrected, ascended, ministers on your behalf, and is saving you, right? Like like that's the gospel. So so anything else kind of comes secondary under that. And so I think what this is trying to say. I, is is uh, you know fundamentals of the gospel itself, and plus what what the church has interpreted as those what what that gospel then means for your life as a Christian. I don't know. I like I I, I can't enter the minds of the people who actually wrote this. I just wrestle with the mixed message that this sends. Like and, yeah, yeah. and please understand, like if you're a listener and you're like gro like you're upset at us for for attacking the church, that's not what we're doing. Please under no, no. like. But if we're not honest about this, like if we believe that the fundamentals are not a creed, we can discuss them. It's open for discussion. The manual's open for discussion. There are changes that go through every five years at the GC um, session to the manual that are voted on. Like, like this is a growing I document. I have the 19th edition of the, the church manual, so that should say something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it's like we should be able to talk about this and not worry about being in trouble, not worrying about people attacking us for it. Like, like we should be, yeah. able, anyone should be able to have this conversation and, um, and, and point out these things. The church manual is available online for free. Just go download it on Adventist.org. Like, like it's available just, it's just as available to you as it is to me as a, as a pastor or TJ as a pastor. Like, like it is, all of this is open for discussion because we believe in this lovely thing called progressive truth, uh, that as time yeah. goes on, we learn more about who God is and what that means for our lives, and we grow. Yeah. I believe the, the problem with this statement, where like I said, it seems like you're, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, is it, 
it's because there's an inconsistency somewhere. And so they're trying to cover up that inconsistency and you, you, you can't a lot of times. If there's an inconsistency, you gotta fix that inconsistency or everything else is gonna be inconsistent. And so once again, it goes back to something that we mentioned earlier about the way that our church has coupled giving your life to Christ and joining a local church denomination. And so I can clearly see that here when it says denial of faith in the fundamentals of the gospel, that's talking about giving your life to Christ and in the fundamental beliefs of the church, that's talking about church membership. But I think that the, the inconsistency comes because we have tied those two together. And, um, you know, I've, I've had talks like this with numerous members, numerous pastors and elders that feel this way. And so I'd hope that maybe in the future, this is something that we could revisit and see why do we do it this way? And is there possibly a, a better way or even a, a more biblical understanding of the way of, of doing things? But that's the beauty of our church, that just because something was set in stone at one point in time doesn't mean it has to stay that way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one, one more quote here from Ellen White. This comes from Testimony to Ministers, page 105 and also 107. It says, we cannot hold that a position once taken, an idea once advocated, is not under any circumstances to be relinquished. There is but one, capital O, who is infallible. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If the pillars of our faith will not stand the test of an investigation, it is time we knew it. So what she's saying here is, Truth can stand up to scrutiny. Truth can stand up against error. So we shouldn't have this mindset that, oh, well, that's truth. So we shouldn't question it. We shouldn't study it. We shouldn't debate about it. No, 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 no. She's saying if there's something wrong and we're teaching something unbiblical, we need to rethink it and re redo it. Because there's another quote from Ellen White. This is my one of my favorite from her. She says, we have many lessons to learn and many, many to unlearn. Mm. Yep. I, That's progressive truth yeah. in, a, in a nutshell, right? Yeah. We, 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 we've got truth now. We think we fully grasp it, fully understand it. But at some point, the Holy Spirit is going to lead somebody or a group of people to see it more clearly or to see it in a fuller picture, or maybe to realize that what you once stood for and believed was wrong, not because of the Bible, but because of your understanding of it. Because I know historically you can look back and when, when slavery was running rampant in this country, there were many church ministers, ministers of the gospel that defended slavery and they used the Bible to defend it. But then on the flip side, there were those that were Christians that were pastors that were against slavery and wanted to end it. And they also used the Bible. So the problem there isn't the Bible. The problem is with the person who's interpreting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, man, once again, I wish I had the courage of some of our early church founders. Like that's in, like just the things that she says are like, what? What a mic drop. Yeah. Especially, yeah. especially from a woman in the early 19th, in the turn of the century. Like, yep. Yep. like that's guts, man. It's somebody who, 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 who has the prophetic gift and she's saying, there are things that I believe now that could be wrong, and I might have to change them. Yep. There are things that I believe we have the full truth on now that we might have to expand upon later. Yeah. I mean, that's, wow, that's, that's humbleness. That's a humbleness that I, I, I wish that I had. I, I, I definitely aim for that. But yeah, there are plenty of times where I'm very stubborn and stuck on a certain belief that I have, and it doesn't matter how much you show me or argue with me you know, I want to keep believing in. So I pray daily that, you know, God, if I've got crazy beliefs, you know, or something that's unbiblical, reveal that to me and give me the, the faith to step out and the humbleness to admit that I was wrong. And I believe that if he wants that for us as individuals, he wants that as well corporately as a church body. That's crazy, man. I can't imagine what it's like to have to admit you're wrong. Like, that's just so foreign to me, that, uh, that concept of being wrong. Like, I've never been wrong. So I don't know. That's why you have a podcast. Yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, you can only have a podcast <laughs> if you have all of the truth and you're never wrong. <laughs> well, like even even what Nathan in scripture, there's a in Second Samuel, David's like, hey, I have this nice house and God has a tent. I should build him a temple. And Nathan's like, yeah, go ahead and do that. God's with you. And then like that night, the Lord appears to Nathan and he's like, no, no, I'm not with him. 
No, I never wanted a temple. I never asked for one. Go tell him not to build me one. It's actually his son that's going to build me one. Like, um, it's just so even the prophets could be wrong. That's what's crazy. And, and the fact that she acknowledges that is, is huge. Um, it, it, the, the prophets, only what's prophetic is what God has specifically given them. Not every word that comes out of a prophet's mouth is meant to be prophetic. Um, not every word that comes from yeah. a prophet's pen is meant, or typewriter, or whatever is supposed to be prophetic. So that, like, that's huge. Um, I yeah, that go ahead. I I I'll share this along with that. You know, there there are there are many Adventists that believe that about Ellen White that anything she said, anything she wrote, that it was prophetic, and everyone needs to follow it. Everyone needs to believe it. But when you look at her writings and you're honest with yourself, you'll realize that can't be the case because I can find a quote from her that she's writing to somebody and she tells them, do not eat eggs. She writes to somebody else and says, eat eggs only from healthy fowls. She writes to a third person and says, every morning, crack a raw egg in your grape juice, stir it up. and." Oh, that sounds so gross. Are, oh, that <laughs> yeah, sounds yeah. nasty. Those are three completely different responses and i don't know all of the details and the circumstances and the background and the context for the first two but i know the last one she's speaking to somebody who is anemic and they need to do that every morning for their own health and Mm -hmm. so there are all sorts of different circumstances and context that go into messages that a prophet might give especially when we're taking personal writings that you know that she wrote to one individual and they wrote back and then putting them into a book for the world to see. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. Um, that's so. I, I'm with you. I think, um, I think we need to be careful with how we use her. And 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 Ellen White tends to actually like prophecy in general tends to be one of the biggest ways, one of the biggest issues we have with this. Which is why I think that we need room for the journey. Um, it's it's so huge to let people have their journey. If I hadn't been allowed to have my faith journey, I wouldn't be here. Um, I wouldn't be mm-hmm. Adventist. Because when someone tells me, no, your journey is wrong, or your belief is wrong, and you have to have what I believe, um, I want to push back even more against it. Like, I don't want to believe yeah. what you believe because of the way you're telling me or whatever. Um, and, and so it's, it's, um, it's hard. Um, but here's, I found it. I found the story I was thinking of earlier. It is in Second Kings chapter 5, and it's Naaman. Um, and... Naaman, mm. uh, Naaman says to God, or Naaman says uh, to God and to Elisha. Um, let me see if I can find the actual verse where he says this. But he um, he basically says, "May the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, he and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this." So right there, Naaman, Naaman says, look, I have to go back to my land and I have to serve this master who does not believe in you. Um, and I'm asking that when I have to play along, I'm asking that you will forgive me for having to bow down to this other person. And Elisha says to him in verse 19, go in peace. Like, yep. he's letting Naaman have his journey. Now, I'm not saying that this is the rule, right? I'm not saying that, that letting people just blanketly bow down to other gods just because they're going to ask for forgiveness ahead of time means that it's totally okay. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if there's someone who, like, one of the things that really bothers me is when someone is trying to accept the, the truth of the Sabbath and they're about to convert, they're about to accept the Sabbath beliefs, but one, their, their job is on Sabbath. Like, it's so easy and so flippant for a pastor who works on Sabbath, by the way, um, for a pastor to say, oh, well, you need to quit your job. You know, you need to quit your job before I can baptize you. You need to stop working on the Sabbath before I can baptize you. Like, how insensitive is it for us to just just chalk it up to it, – it's, it's kind of like telling a depressed person, you just need to have more faith. You know, faith will carry you through. Um, it, it's like, hey, I'm sitting from my comfortable position where I'm fine, but I'm telling you, you have to do this, and you have to go through this hardship because I said so, or else I am the gatekeeper to your salvation, right? I won't baptize you. Um, if you don't do this, like I have major problems with that. Um, I'm much more a fan of like letting someone transition out and I'm going to make sure they're on that journey transitioning out, but I'm, I'm much more a fan of something like that and letting people have their journey and understanding that life just isn't black and white. Like, yeah, it's just not, um, you know, someone might be going through cancer treatments and needs the health insurance from the job they're in. And if they leave, well, 
they're up a creek when it comes to their health insurance and being able to afford uh, health care in the U.S. That's huge. Like, so I, right. I really wrestle with this idea that you have to jump in and subscribe to all 28 before you can be a part of the club. I also get the balance of like, hey, you can't be an NBA player unless you at least play basketball. You know what I mean? Like, I get that there's a certain level of you've got to play the game if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be on the team, you've got to be able to play the game. I get that. Um, but I don't think you have to, everyone needs to be LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Kobe Bryant in order to play the game. Um, and yeah. that's huge. I think a, a big problem within the church today is that we are trying to do the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, a huge job of the Holy Spirit is to convict of to, to bring conviction of sin to people's minds, to bring them to a point where they say, okay, this is a sin, I'm doing this wrong, and then giving them the opportunity to make the choice, the free will choice to say, I don't care, I'm going to keep doing it, or I want to make these changes because I want to please my God. And so what we do a lot of the time is we try to convict people, we try to convince and to change people, and we can change them before they're ready. And what we're doing is we're creating legalists. We are creating people that just want to follow the rule because it's a rule with no understanding of the principle. And it's fear-based as opposed to love-based. Because when you tell a person that they want to join, you've just, you know, you, you've done this prophecy seminar and you've told them that, you know, you, you believe that the, the Seventh-day Adventist church is the remnant church of Bible prophecy. And, and if they don't join, they're going to get the mark of the beast. And I'm not mm. saying that's what we believe, but sometimes that's how it's presented. And then we tell someone, we, we, Sometimes they have the mindset of, if I don't join this church, then I'm going to hell. Yeah. And then we set up obstacles to keep them from joining the church. One of them being, if you're working on Sabbath, you've got to quit that. Or if you're smoking cigarettes, you've got to quit that before we can baptize you. And so then what we've done is we have forced that person, coerced that person to change their behavior. And it's not because they felt convicted. It's not because God was leading them and that they now have a strong relationship in God that they want to do it, but they were tricked, they were duped, they were feared into doing it. And I think that that's really dangerous and it's hard to undo that sort of mindset. When somebody is first giving their life to Christ or first joining the church, you are setting them off on the wrong foot and you've got to undo all of that stuff. I'd much rather baptize somebody that was still struggling with smoking because the key word there is struggling. You know, they, they want to quit, but they're, they're not sure how to do it. They're not sure if they're ready, but if we let the Holy spirit work on them and the Holy spirit wants them to quit and they, ha they are in a church that facilitates a place for them to grow in their relationship with Christ. Well, they will quit and they'll quit on God's time not on our time. Yeah. And <laughs> no, I'm with you. Like like uh, the entire story of God's people is a struggle. Like the name Israel literally means struggle. So like it, all of scripture is this struggle of God's people, this struggle between good and evil, this struggle um of God reconciling with his people and and what that meant and the sacrifices that are, that are that are that are given like or that are made. Like there's all these things that are that are that the biblical narrative talks about when in regards to struggle. And then we tell you, you have to finish your struggle before you can be a part of our club. Like that's ridiculous. Um, it is not consistent with the biblical narrative in my mind. Um, I do think there's a level of, yeah, we lay the truth out there. We let the truth be known. Sure. Yeah. But 100%. it is the spirit that convicts and the spirit that grows. And every single one of us, every single one of us has some sort of, um, of double or, or, or um, what is it? Uh, cognitive dissonance. That's the word I wanted. Uh, cognitive dissonance. Where like every I talked about a few episodes ago, uh, ethical business practices, and I talked about um, buying a pair of two hundred dollar boots because partially the company uh, cares about um, its employees and doesn't use slave labor to make their boots. Well, great, but I said that while having an iPhone X in my hand. Um, you know, there's cognitive dissonance in every single one of us, um, and not we're not going to know everything by the time that Jesus comes back. In fact, one of the things I'm looking forward to the most when Jesus is when Jesus comes back is every way that I was wrong. <laughs> Which I you know, and I'm really excited that Jesus is going to tell me that I was wrong in way less ways than everyone else. Um, but I am I'm just kidding. Please understand. I'm not actually, I don't actually <laughs> believe that. 
Don't want to get mad at me. Don't want to write in. Um, but I, you know, I am excited to find out what I got wrong because I want to know what's right. And I trust and believe that 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 God's grace is big enough to to cover for the ways in which I have failed. Um, and and there are many. There are there are many. Um, so that like that's kind of I guess how I feel about the whole topic in a nutshell. But I really just want to have people like let them have their journey. Yeah, and I, I feel that we'll be very surprised when we get to heaven and we realize where we were wrong. You know. <laughs> yeah, for real. But um. You know, one one thing I want to say in connection with this mindset of trying to, we say that the 28 fundamental beliefs aren't a creed, but then we treat them as a creed because we won't let someone join unless they agree with them 100%. You know, what, what do we do with that sort of mindset and also our understanding of progressive truth? There's inconsistency. There's a disconnect there because as I mentioned earlier, the 28 fundamental beliefs, or 27 at the time, they didn't even come into existence until 1980. So what do you do with every Seventh-day Adventist Christian that was baptized into the church before 1980? Do they now have to agree with all these new fundamental beliefs that were out there? What if they disagree with one? Do we discipline them? Do we kick them out of the church? And then also, what do we do every you know, five years when they change? Because the fundamental belief on creation recently changed. And there were words added to point out the fact that you know, we, the, the church's official belief is that the creation was recent and that it was literal six days. And all of this, it, it, it makes it very clear that the official position is young earth creationism. What happens to the people before that change that believed in creation, but maybe believed in an old earth? or maybe had a different way of viewing certain aspects of creation, do they now, was their baptism, it didn't count, now that the belief has changed, or do they, should they be disciplined since they don't believe in the change? And then what happens if it changes again? Do, you know, it just, it gets confusing when we try to make something that we say can change and that we can get new light on, we try to make it into a creed by our actions. Hmm. Break out the Scantron, baby. We got some testing to do. We got some <laughs> testing to do. No, for real though. Like that's that's huge. What do you do with all those people? And 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 so the idea is don't use this as a test. Like, gee, that's an easy solution. <laughs> uh, don't use it yeah, as a yeah. test. Um, it it is. Don't get me wrong. The fundamental beliefs are really important. I just don't want it to use mm-hmm. us. I don't want us to use it to bash each other and cause so much damage that we actually ruin disciples in the process. Like. Right. The fundamental beliefs are descriptive and not prescriptive, and I think that's kind of like the whole major underlying theme of this episode. Um, and let me, I, I, we've got to, we're, we're kind of running out of time here, so let me just ask you this last question: um, How can individuals who struggle with the twenty-eight engage with them or settle the issues they have with them? Ask questions. That that's the biggest thing: is ask questions, have dialogue, have debate. But the caveat to that is be mindful of who you're asking the questions to, because I'm sure that anybody listening to this, if you are a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you know that there are safe people and there are people that aren't so safe, that you can have shared doubts with, have open dialogues with, um, because some people, if you start sharing doubts or sharing questions, then they're going to, you know, tell the conference on you or tell your pastor on you instead of dialoguing and letting you voice your doubts, voice your opinions. But then there are other people, you know, that you can have an open, honest discussion about. And that's the thing is that just because you have a question or a concern about a 28, one of the 28 fundamental beliefs, it doesn't mean that you are disregarding it or you think it's unbiblical or you think it's wrong because like, like you shared earlier, Ryan, there is some wording in one of the fundamental beliefs that you disagree with, but in terms of the biblical precedence, you agree 100%. Absolutely. Um, and if we, if we believe that, that they can change, that they can be added to or stuff can be taken away when it comes to the 28 fundamental beliefs, then that means there has to be dialogue and debate and questioning. Mm. Otherwise, they would never change, and then we'd have ourselves a nice creed with a, with a bow tied on top. Yep. <laughs> so just ask questions, yes. have dialogue. That's the, that's the biggest thing, because I, I believe that truth can stand up to error. And so if, if the error is with one of the beliefs, well, that will come out through Bible study. But if the error is with you, 
and your understanding of the belief, once again, that will come through the Bible. And then you will then have a stronger faith and you'll have a better understanding of why that's a fundamental belief because you've looked it up for yourself and seen it from the Bible and the Bible alone, which that is our creed, the Seventh-day Adventist, mm. the Bible. Yes, I agree. Thank you for that. And I would add, um, let's not give the older generations too much flack here, um, and let's not just blanketly or tacitly assume that they um, are not safe to ask these questions to. Many of them are, in fact, the safest to ask these questions yeah. to. Um, you know, boomers and, and older generations have seen some of the biggest social and societal changes in history. Uh, many of them lived through Jim Crow and through um, segregation and then the civil rights movement, and, and um, they've seen both extremes. And while some of them may still even have racist tendencies, like, let's not, let's not pretend like they haven't changed at all and like they're so unwilling to change. Um, many of them are open to dialogue like this. So I think what we're trying to say is build relationship with people and find out who you can trust to have these conversations. And honestly, like, it's my favorite thing. It's one of the things I've said. I, I hope I've said it on this podcast. If I haven't, I need to say it more. Um, I don't know. Like, don't be afraid of saying, I don't know. Um, it's okay to not know everything. And, um, and it's okay to be on that journey of trying to find knowledge. That's what every single one of us is on. Um, so that's what I would say. TJ, thank you so much, man, for coming on the podcast. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? I just want to share, uh, connected with what you just said, some of the most free-thinking and progressive Adventists that I know are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Wow. <laughs> so that should, that, should, that should say something there. But no, I just I, I would say keep asking questions. And like I said, our, our fundamental beliefs, I believe that they are based on the Bible, and there's tons of scripture to back up each fundamental belief. If you've got questions about them, look up those scriptures, find it for yourself. And, you know, but don't, don't use them to attack other people, use them as an opportunity to have dialogue, to ask questions. And if somebody from the outside looking in asks you, what does Seventh-day Adventist believe? You can share, you know, a few things off the top of your head, or you can point them to the 28 fundamental beliefs and say, these are the official teachings of the church. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you, your, your outlook and perspectives. I look forward to having you on again, uh, hopefully, and maybe we won't have to record all of our episodes twice in a row. Uh, we, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcatchers, any podcatcher app that you can think of. Um, you can find us on Patreon if you want to um, support us financially. It really, really helps us out. Um, so you can go to patreon.com slash absurditypodcast, make an account, um, and subscribe to donate. Uh, we do have various rewards, as well as we've just started releasing some Patreon-specific episodes in other words, uh, there are some episodes that you can only get if you are a patron of the Absurdity Podcast. So head over there and check that out and find out more information about that, um, as well as you can find us on theabsurdity.org or facebook.com slash absurditypodcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have feedback, at Ryan180Becker on Twitter or Ryan180Becker at gmail.com. Thank you again, guys, and we will see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.